0: that you're near us, Lord, and we just saw a lot of images of destruction and, and uh, difficult, painful things, but you are here with us, Lord, and I pray that you would bring each one of us to that place, Lord, where we can and we will and we delight to praise you in this storm. It's, it's not an easy thing for us to do. It doesn't uh, seem to happen immediately and it's maybe like a long haul for a lot of us to get to that place and uh, we're about to read of an account that you've given us of one of your servant's struggles in this very thing and so we ask lord that as we open your word you would bless it you would pour your spirit upon us fill each of our hearts with your holy spirit and speak to each one of us in the way that you desire for that encouragement uh, that reassurance that you are with us in the storm, Lord. I pray that no one would leave here uh, doubting that you love them and that you are right here with them and that you have a good plan for them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was just perfect for um, the passage of scripture that we are going to look at this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 77, and you know, you saw those pictures, uh, just horrible events, massive destruction. And then there are events that we have in our life that maybe the house is in a shambles, we haven't lost everything. I know there's people here in this room, when fires have come come through, have been devastated and lost everything. Or people who have uh, lost a a baby or lost a, a loved one, a husband hard, painful things, uh, lost the use of our body through illness, hard, painful things emotionally, mentally, wondering why God, why. And we're going to look at these very things this morning. And basically this song, I'm just going to cut to the end of the story right now. Have you ever opened a book and read the last page first? I used to do that a lot because I'm I could be impatient, but I just, you know. And then I would enjoy getting up to that point. We just saw the last page first. We just saw the bottom line of where the Lord is bringing us to. To be able to praise Him in the storm. To be able to trust Him in the storm, no matter what our eyes are seeing. To bring us to that place. And that is... Not necessarily an easy path to walk on to get there. But that's what he's doing. And we're going to see that this morning when we open this um, psalm and look at it. Psalm 77. This is the New King James. I'm also going to be using New Living Translation. I cried out to God with my voice. To God with my voice. And he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I can't speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I've called to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in anger, shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work. And talk of your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters saw you, O oh God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds. Poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters. And your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Whoa, this is intense. (laughs) <laughs> this is not a, a buttercups cu- butter and sunshine, you know, kind of a feel about this as we're starting out. And this psalm, like many other psalms, begins with sorrow, with complaints. But it ends with comfort and encouragement. It was written for uh, Jejuthan, the chief musician. And it was either for him to sing it or play it. Second Chronicles 5 says that he was one of Asaph's fellow Levites. He was a musical colleague in the temple. I don't know what instrument he played or what he sang, but uh, he must have been good, and and, uh, maybe he had a a full tear-jerking kind of a voice that could really do it justice. Anyway, that's who Asaph had in mind to perform the song. But as for the history of the psalm, there's a few schools of thought regarding what caused Asaph to be in this state so troubled, whether it was due to a national tragedy, uh, maybe the devastation of the first temple temple in Jerusalem, uh, or God holding back blessings upon the nation of Israel because they were falling into apostasy and idolatry, or when they were maybe being taken captives and exiled to Babylon. or It could have even been a personal or family tragedy that occurred in his life. And whatever it is, whichever one of those it might have been, We really don't need to spend time discussing the case history for it because the real focus is the writer's heart, his state of mind, that very human reaction to hard times, hard, hard, difficult places, that place of being overcome with doubt in God's plan and God's ways. So what matters is the applications it has for us when we deal with sorrowful and difficult events in our lives that may cause us to wonder, where is God in all of this? Does he care? Does he hear my prayer? Has he forgotten me? Those kinds of questions that plague us and consume us when tragedy hits. So when we read this psalm, It's not to focus on what the cause of the sorrow is, because sorrow and loss and tragedy can hit us in any number of ways, but rather the fact that when it does hit us, and it will, all of us at some point in our life, what do we do next? So as we have read Psalm 77, you and I may recognize ourselves Maybe you've had the same types of thoughts and questions as Asaph the psalmist had and been in those same shoes of being overcome with that perplexity, that darkness, that pain. In this place we often give God a severe battering of questions as to why. And then not understanding and seeing any immediate or apparent help from God it may lead us to doubt God's care or if he'll offer any at all in the situation and so in the first half of this poem or song the writer is actually focused on himself he's focused on himself and his confusion and his pain over what's happened and in the second half the writer has shifted his focus now to what God has done in the past and God's character and oh how different those two perspectives are like night and day they're complete opposites so, the first 10 verses, Asaph focuses on the enormity of the problem, that loss, the pain. He's in terrible sorrow. He's doubting God. But then eventually, he does encourage himself to hope that all will be well at last by remembering God's former actions and the help he gave. The second perspective that we see in verses 11 to 20 focuses on who God is, his power, his might, his ways of delivering that are beyond our understanding in a lot of cases. And so in reading this psalm, we got to see ourselves here. We have to see ourselves. And, you know, we should take shame for our sinful distrust of God because we've probably all been there. We, too, forget His faithful providence, His promises, His help. We forget to give Him the glory for His power and goodness. We forget to be thankful to ponder deeply and really recount what he's done for us personally, today, and formally and most importantly, to continue having a cheerful dependence on him for the future. So beginning in verses 1 to 10, it starts off with Asaph's complaint, that deep penetrating effect that his troubles made on his spirit. And Asaph, he was in the depths of despair. I don't think you could say it any other way. It wasn't just like, oh, well. I've had better days. He was at the bottom. And a good majority of the despairing is because he was thinking there would be no relief for the situation. What if God doesn't help? Have you ever been in that place, in that frame of mind? Is this like looking in a mirror when you read his account? It was for me, quite honestly. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that. You think that somebody who is in ministry or a pastor's wife Well, their faith is rock solid and they don't get rattled and shaken. You get rattled and shaken. But I praise the Lord and say, Lord, it takes a lot more to shake me and rattle me. And uh, I don't shake and rattle for as long. (laughs) Shake, rattle, and roll. Because you, you start looking at all those stones of remembrance you piled up and where the Lord has acted and worked and you get your focus back anyway. But... Looking at myself in a mirror when I read these uh, words of Asaph, when we let all of the what-ifs grow to an enormous size, worrying about what-ifs, and most of them don't ever pan out, they take over our brain. They make you exhausted because we are trying to figure out a solution. We can't understand why it's happened Or I don't see any help coming. I'm racking my brain trying to come up with one and it just isn't happening. Well, you know, the Lord does allow uh, situations to come into our life on purpose that are going to be too big for us to figure out or to take care of. Just, if anything, to show how much you need him. Because you can't say in every situation, well, I've got this one covered. I I can handle it. So, you know, when we get to that point where our brain is exhausted and we haven't been able to figure out anything, then that's when the drooping begins, that sinking into that pit, into that miry clay that sucks us under. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to get out before uh, the depression really hits me. And a lot of times it just, it does. It comes over. It's like that quicksand, It sucks me under. It destroys me. And I want you to know this is really not an exaggeration because it's a real and painful place to be in mentally, in your, in, in your uh, soul. It can be a destructive place to be in because people have actually ended their lives at this point because they see no way out. They have no hope. They literally get sucked under and overcome just like that quicksand. Sucked under to their doom. So Asaph is struggling. He's struggling to get out. I cried out to God. The New Living Translation says, I'm crying out so strongly. I'm shouting. Shouting it to God. Listen, please, please, God. And God heard me. When I was in deep trouble, my troubles are so deep, I'm searching for the Lord. Verse 2. All night long, I'm praying so intently that my hands are stretched out to Him. I I picture him grasping out to God. My soul was not comforted. I'm suffering acutely from this inner turmoil, he says. Verse 3, I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. Selah, which means stop and think about this. Have you ever felt or prayed like this? Poor Asaph. His song, he's bearing his soul. It's a soul that's exposed and raw. His prayers are full of deep sadness and affliction. He's in agony. He prayed even more intently and earnestly and fervently. His whole body is engaged, his whole mind. James 5.13 says, Are you suffering hardships? You should pray. Asaph is full of complaints, loud complaints. But he directs them to God and he turns them all into prayers. Vocal prayers, praying them with all his heart and strength to God. He was venting all his grief to God. And it did give him some relief, some ease. And you know, that is the right thing to do. God wants us to come to him, even if it's venting our frustrations or our grief or our perplexity. It says in verse 2, In the day of trouble I sought the Lord. Days of trouble must be days of prayer especially days of inward trouble, when God seems to have withdrawn from us, we've got to press in and seek him until we find him. It's important to stop and really get this, ladies. In that day of trouble, He, Asaph didn't push it away with hiding, avoiding distractions, diversions, busying himself with work or distract, distracting himself. He didn't go shopping or to the movies to try to forget about it or to shake it off. He didn't just do anything but pray. No, he went and he got on his knees and he prayed. He sought God in his favor and grace. When we are in deep distress and anxiety or worry or sorrow, the place to go is not to something that is going to distract us or bury it, to drink it away, sleep it away. You know, pull covers over our head and sleep a lot because we're feeling so depressed and don't want to deal with anything, or try to laugh it away by partying or uh, I don't know, watching comedies. We gotta pray it away. Scripture tells us not to indulge our sorrow by refusing to be comforted. Remember, at first he was saying he refused to be comforted. We're not to do refuse to be comforted. We gotta. We've got to be proactive and make an effort and come to the Lord. In fact, refusing to be comforted is actually an offense to God because we're refusing to believe God. Does God understand our deep sorrow and affliction? Yes, absolutely. Is he saying we can't be sad or feel sad? Do I have to just constantly go around like this? No, he's not saying that at all. But what God wants us to do when we're in that place is to look to him, come to him. Bring all this heartache, all those insurmountable problems to him and allow him to begin comforting us through his word and his spirit. He loves you. He loves us. If we give too much of a foothold to grief and sorrow, it's destructive to us physically and as I mentioned earlier, when people have their uh, vision and perspective so clouded over with despair, they don't act rationally. They lose hope. they Forgotten about the Lord and all that he can do, all he wants to do. And so in that frame of mind, they've harmed themselves and some even unto death. So the writer is pouring out his soul before God. And at the very first, he doesn't have uh, any ease or relief. Just at the beginning, he's overwhelmed. He's sinking under this heavy load. In verse 4, he complains that he can't even sleep, which would refresh him. He can't speak in the New Living Translation, I'm too distressed even to pray. His mind is exhausted trying to figure it all out. His thoughts are in disorder. Chaos. Confusion. Have you been like this? I have. I can't turn my brain off. I can't go to sleep. Chaos, chaos and tumult running rampant in my brain and it's spinning. I'm trying to shut it off. I'm trying to sleep and I'm trying to figure things out all at the same time and grasp why. What do I do now? How do I fix this? When will this end? Why is this happening? And for every question I'm asking, i got 47 and a half, maybe, what if, you know, other things going on. And it's a horrible state to be in. There's no peace. It's just a mixture of despair, anxiety, fear, dread, hopelessness, grief. Verse 5 to 6, and as he ponders and thinks over and over again about this problem, his depression and anxiety are actually increased when he compares them now with his former days of prosperity. Verse 5, I consider the days of old and that only aggravated and magnified the present present uh, calamity in his mind. And you know, that that's what we tend to do. I found myself about a month ago doing that very thing. You know, we're looking for um, new positions and new work and I was thinking about the excellent career that I used to have and the excellent job I had before I came up to the Mountains, And it only just made the, why did I ever, you know, do that, Lord? I chose to obey you and do this other thing. And it only compounded my carpet-munching, crying episode. (laughs) Well, we're, we're not supposed to think about the good old days, mourning the loss, and whether we really realize it or not, what we're doing is what I just said. It's just to justify why we're so miserable right now. Scripture says, Don't say that the former days were better than these, for you do not inquire wisely concerning this. So don't long for them, because this is not wise. Ecclesiastes 7.10 Don't let those memories make you unthankful right now, or impatient with what God is doing now, and what the Lord is going to do with your future. If you're looking in the rearview mirror You're not looking ahead, okay? Don't keep playing them over and over in your mind like a favorite sad movie or song just to support and keep your depression going and going. Philippians 3.13 says, Forget the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the thoughts and plans I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And in our small group this morning, we were at this point in the lesson and, you know, uh, looking at the past and our minds going over things that are depressing. And um, uh, it made me think of uh, of the pity party, you know. And the pity party wants to invite lots of people, lots of pathetic things. Like, you know, you're mad at your husband or this situation came up that really grieved you and, And then you start thinking of other things and other things. They're all just coming into that party, and that party's really getting going. And then we got to Philippians 4.8. though. take every thought captive, obedient to the mind of Christ. Take all those thoughts captive. Let's have a different party here. Philippians 4.8, whatever things are pure and lovely, true, those are the people you want to invite to your party. Start bringing those things into your thoughts, and you'll have a different kind of party going on in your head. Instead of a depressing one, you'll be like, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. A whole different attitude was going to come on you. So in verse 6, Asaph's remembering those other nights, those other songs in the night when he comforted himself with before. He was suffering, and uh, other things cheered him up. This time, it's, it's not working so well. He couldn't sing them over again to himself. This one was just really getting a grip on him. He just was out of tune for those old songs in the night. So now at the end of verse 6 we read, but he makes diligent search for them. My soul makes diligent search. Diligent. He, he's not going to give up. He, he can't stay there. He's going to keep trying and pressing in. And poor Asaph, at this point, he's still adrift without an anchor. He's, he's a torn soul. And he can talk about past salvation. He, he knows they're in there. He can remember them. But they're still sort of blotted out by all the sorrow and the grief right now. He's not getting the assurance that he's seeking, but he's not giving up. He's pressing in. David would make a diligent search. In so many of his psalms, he would start off, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And then he would remember, Hope thou in God. Am I making a diligent search into the cause of my trouble when it comes? Is it because of my own sin? Do you make a diligent search? Search my heart, O God, and show me if there be any wicked way in me. Is there any rebellion against you, Lord, going on in my life so I can comprehend all this anxiety and trouble that I'm suffering from? Show me, Lord, so that I can know the way to go, so I can repent. Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24 says that. Or is it maybe nothing to do with sin on my part? After all, we do know that it rains on the just and the unjust, Like Job, who was afflicted, though he did not sin. And we have a very hard time understanding why God allows things like this, these kind of things in our life. Job had more right than anyone to ask God, why? Why, God, why? And I think probably everyone is aware of the story of Job, but just in case you're not, just a little short bio, Job is a man who was reduced perhaps more than any other man that, is, that has ever been reduced to just the bare essence of existence, just raw existence. Everything that we think as necessary for life, everything that we consider to be important for our lives, it was all stripped away from Job. His possessions, his family, all his kids, his friends, his health, He lost everything, even lost the consciousness of the sense of his own worth as he began to curse the day that he was born and just cry out for death. And when you have lost everything, this is when the very deepest longings and quest of a human is exposed. You see, you're not worried about, do my earrings match my outfit or does my car need to be washed or where should we go eat? And we crowd and fill our minds with a lot of things that really aren't essential to life because we have friends, we have activities, we have a lot of interests. And all these things can be very important to us. And they're not bad things. But unfortunately, people can spend their whole lives in things that really don't matter. And a whole life can be wasted on non-essentials. Now, with Job it just boiled down to existence. Everything had been stripped away and it's just the raw person sitting there. What are the things that are expressed? What are the cries now? What are the needs? They're just the basic needs of a person, the basic needs of life at this point. The cries of the man is, he deals with the deepest issues of life. And the story of Job is an interesting story and it's one that, really does confirm what God has declared to us in Isaiah. And Job expressed it himself, which is the ways of God are beyond our finding out. God said through the prophet Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My ways are beyond your finding out. You're not going to understand. You're not going to get it a lot of times. And I don't pretend to understand everything about God. In fact, we really, we got to confess that, we understand very little about God. But, you know, that's why we worship him. If, I, if you think about it, if I can understand God completely, then he would be on my level. And so what would I have to worship? Because he is so much greater than you and I, vaster in wisdom and understanding and knowledge than I am and than you are. We have to stand in on reverence of him and worship him. And I like what Pastor Chuck said on this subject. He doesn't always do things my way or always stop to explain to me why he did it his way, though I sometimes demand that he does. He doesn't always even pay attention to my demands. He just seems to go ahead and do what he wants to anyhow in spite of my objections. But I appreciate that because I found a long time ago that I don't know very much. I fit in the category of which Shakespeare wrote when he said, man, poor man, so ignorant in that which he knows best. And I find... I'm so ignorant in the things I know best. And thus, I'm glad to submit my life and my will to God and to His wisdom. And I'm thankful that I can pray, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't even like what you're doing. But you know, you know what you're doing. And that's the best. So just keep doing it. Not my will, Lord, but your will. And so we don't get everything. But well, we have to come to the place that God does, and he's somebody we can trust. We don't understand God's ways. God said, God said Job was a perfect man. He was an upright man. He loves me, and he hates evil. Yet God allowed him to have everything wiped out in a moment's time. Wealth, possessions, even all your kids taken away. What do you do? Well, Job fell on his face there in the dirt, and he blessed God. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'm going to return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. We just heard that in the song this morning. Saw some very graphic pictures of that, of the destruction. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Job said in all of this. And in all these things, Job did not curse God, neither did he charge God foolishly. Job one21 to 22. Could I do that? Can you do that? Our psalmist Asaph wasn't doing that at first. But then as we grow and mature as Christians, we begin to realize that our present afflictions are to get us to that point where we can still trust God and praise Him in the storm, that song we just heard, even in the very worst times of life. But what we usually do is to make those... Foolish charges against God. Like, I don't think God cares about me at all. I don't think God loves me. Those are foolish charges against God. God's word says that God is true and never a liar. And God declares that he loves you. And we just read in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that his plans and thoughts for us are good. You know, but in a second, it seems like we forget about what God says and what his character is. And so sometimes... Because of those circumstances, we, too, are prone to make those foolish charges against God. But Job didn't do that. Instead, he said, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him, Job 13:15. So, meanwhile, back at the ranch and back to Asaph and his trouble, where we left off, he's making that diligent search. He's wondering and asking, God, what have I done? Why are you against me? And allowing all this to happen. In verses 7 and 9, he's asking all kinds of questions. And David asks a lot of these same questions in his psalms. Will the Lord cast off forever as he does for the present? He is not now favorable, so will he never be favorable again? His mercy is now gone. I can't see it. I can't see any mercy on me right now. So is his mercy now gone forever from me? God's promises look like they're failing. So are they going to be failing forever now? God is not being gracious right now, it seems. So has he forgotten to be gracious? His tender mercies are being withheld from me, perhaps in his wisdom. But even so, are they shut up from me because of anger? These are the words and questions of a soul that is beyond consolation. Deserted, walking in darkness, groping in confusion for answers, and having no light and no clue. But before we're quick to judge Asaph for a lack of faith, we can see that the Lord, in His goodness, has allowed us to see many examples of this in Scripture of godly people, not not little babes weak in faith, godly, strong servants who loved the Lord and obeyed Him. Yet. They go through seasons of suffering in the same exact way. David, Elijah, Jeremiah, even John the Baptist, questioning. And so many others in the scripture questioning God. Asking the Lord these questions because they don't understand, Lord, what's going on? And you know, spiritual trouble is really the most grievous trouble of all because nothing grieves and wounds and pierces the soul more Than those human thoughts and apprehensions of God's being angry with me, the suspending of his favor towards me, and the removing of his promises from me. So the Lord has shown us in many accounts of God's own people, his dedicated servants. So for our example and benefit, in those cloudy and dark days of their lives, they're grappling with that strong temptation to believe that those things are true, that... God's forgotten about me and tempted to make a desperate conclusion that God has abandoned them and all hope is gone and that his covenant, his promise of grace has failed. And so I've done that same very thing. And I I think probably all of us in this room could say that. But, you know, we're not to give way to those incorrect thoughts. They are incorrect. Our perspective is not... Seeing it sharply. Let God be true. And every man a liar, Scripture says. Don't believe the lies you're telling yourself or the devil. Those lies he likes to whisper to you to get you to doubt God. Believe God, not the lies. We ask God these questions. And you know what? Here's the good part. God gives us the answers. So listen to now what God says. Romans 11.1. 1. Has God or will God cast away his own people? Certainly not. Psalm 94.14. No, the Lord will not cast off his people. Will he no longer be helpful and favorable to me? Lamentations 3.32. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Are God's mercies gone? Psalm 103.17. No, his mercy endures forever forever. To those that fear him and obey him. Lamentations three, twenty two to twenty three. It's by his mercy that we are not consumed. They're new every morning. Woohoo, thank you, Lord. Do God's promises fail? Hebrews six eighteen. No. It is impossible for God to lie. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No. He cannot deny himself in his own name, which he has proclaimed to be gracious and merciful. Has the Lord slammed the door on compassion? Hosea 11, eight and 9. God answers and says, Oh, how can I give you up? My compassion overflows. So, Asaph is going on and on with these dismal and depressing questions. Ah, but then there's a change because he begins to remember and ponder those things that the Lord says. Not go by his emotions and his mind, which had been in all this confusion. And that is why prayer changes things, my friends. Prayer changes us and our attitudes. While I'm in prayer, God's Holy Spirit is bringing to remembrance those wonderful things about God and His love for me. And God is working to change my heart and my attitude so I won't faint or lose heart. So I will have hope again and believe Him. So I've got to be in the Word more. I can't let my circumstances and difficulties or my emotions And that storm-tossed mind get the better of me. I need to let the Lord Jesus get the better of me, you could say. And uh, a lot of us have had that dreaded dreaded flu recently going on. I had that horrible flu. Acute nausea and vomiting and just head spinning around green. Just shoot me. You know, just wretched. Oh, I w- oh I wish I was dead. Horrible and miser miserable. Not it was the worst flu I ever had. <laughs> well, poor Asaph, he has got the flu in his spirit. That's what we've just seen. Is just, ugh, you know, just when will this be over? And this this horrible feeling. And that's what it reminded me of. I thought, oh my gosh, he's got the flu in his soul. You know. <laughs> So bad I just wanna die, you know. And so he fortunately is visited by his great physician. And I uh just this last couple of days too heard Pastor Chuck on the radio and I thought, Oh, this is just so true. He said, The more time you spend with God, the more in reverential awe you become of him, the more time in his word, the more you know him and trust him, the more time in prayer he directs your heart focus and attitude now it says uh, he said the more you know him and trust him we're not always going to know and figure out and understand everything God is doing but we are going to know his character we are going to know that he is a God who loves us and who can only do good he's a God that cannot lie when you start really really getting your Bible dug down deep inside of you it's engraved on your heart no matter what is going on that your eyeballs see, if you can still remember who God is and His character, it definitely sharpens your focus and it saves you a lot of a lot of time in that storm tossed brain turmoil time. And that's what I said earlier when I was like, "Do you still get shaken? Do you still get rattled?" Yes, you do. But you, your soul in the flu state gets way down to almost just like, Lord, and then it's gone. Who's my physician? My physician. It's the Lord. He's come to comfort and ease my affliction, that despondent, heavy heart, my weakness of faith, my distrusting him. He corrects my vision from that distorted and warped perspective by speaking to my heart in prayer and setting the record straight through His Word and helping me to refocus and get the facts straight. The fact that He loves me. That He's got me in the palm of His hand. He did it for Asaph. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Now, soul, just be quiet and trust the Lord completely in all these things. That's what David did. That's where he got to. Matthew Henry said that when you're more afflicted, more in agony... Pray more. Days of trouble must be days of prayer. George Mueller also wrote and mentioned often that his practice when the need was greater and more pressing and the answer looked furthest away was that the time when they prayed more until the prayer was answered. So do you see, when things are bad, I've got to pray more. When things don't make sense and I'm confused, I'm agitated, I'm overwhelmed, I'm grief-stricken, And believe me, poor Asaph, he was all these things. He was in a very bad shape here. He had a terrible flu in his soul. In verse 10, he is in anguish, he says. The New Living Translation says he's just basically collapsing with the thought, oh, well, this is my fate. God's turned against me. But in that second part of verse 10, that's when it changes. His vision is starting to clear up. His heart is calming down now, and that anxiety in his mind is becoming at peace. Verse 11 to 15, But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They're constantly in my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people. Selah. Selah means, now stop and think about that. Stop and think about that. Is there any problem that anybody in this room has that God isn't bigger than? Is there any problem that God can't figure out? No. So Asaph stopped and he thought about it. He stopped thinking about the tragedy And started remembering and thinking about the Lord, his might, his power, all the things that he's done for him and his people in the past. And that he's the same God full of love, goodness, mercy, compassion. The one who helped you before in this is the same God who's going to help you now. We had such beautiful examples of it this morning in our leaders meeting. Connie shared some beautiful things. You know, several ladies had some great things. And in your groups, you can probably have things to share it's the same god who helped you then the same god who helped asaph who helped david who helped name anybody fill in the blank that is still the same god today in your situation to help you so are you am i remembering god's previous work in our behalf Asaph comes out of this terrible plague of distress. He was under that horrible, delirious flu that his soul was in. And he recovers his wits and his strength and focus. And now he's able to silence his fears by remembering the great things God's done. You see, Asaph, he looked up to God and he pressed in, he prayed more, and it's good. It's all good. It's good. It's good that we have these trials and tests because they teach us to persevere It will strengthen our faith. Go to the word of God. Pray to him even more. Meditate on his word more. Spend time with him more. Sit patiently and quietly and listen to him more. And even if at first it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere, Asaph wasn't getting anywhere right at the beginning either. Persevere because God declares it to be the antidote. The antidote for that horrible bloop. For that spiritual flu of weakened faith and the cure for fear. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen says. We have got to remember who we're dealing with here. It's almighty, holy God. In verse 13 it says, your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Your ways are holy. We can't solve the problems for our difficulty. The reason why God allows something so hard to come into your life. We have to remember and realize that God is holy in all his works. What does that mean? It means he's good in all his works. He can't do evil. He can't go against his nature of love. And yes, he judges evil in his good time. If he didn't, he wouldn't be a just judge. He'd be a corrupt judge. So what God does in his timing, he has a reason. And the reason is ultimately for the benefit of producing holiness in our lives, refining us in that refining fire, pruning us So there's going to be more fruit. And these are painful processes a lot of times for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. But that's what's necessary. That's what his will is so that we can be praising him in the storm because we trust him enough. And so finally, as we look at 16 to 20, we have that example of how God works. Powerful. ASAP describes here awesome, spectacular, terrifying events. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled, the sea quaked to its very depths, the clouds poured down rain, the thunder rumbled in the sky, your arrows of lightning flashed, your thunder roared from the whirlwind, the lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was here. Yeah, God's ways are not our ways. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. So God's way, it's in the sea. He he isn't leading them in this situation by some easy, obvious pathway. We can't give an account or figure out why God does the thing that he does and where he's leading and allowing. God's way and his will and his leading can be in very calm, normal turn of events or it can be something we'd never dream of, like this huge event Aesop just described something we would never fathom ourselves, dramatic and huge. It could be something impossible. It could be something very ordinary. Parting the sea was impossible. He brought them through safely. That's the bottom line. He gave them salvation. That's the bottom line. He destroyed their enemies. That's the bottom line. They could trust him. That's the bottom line truth. God went before them with all the care of a shepherd. He was a pillar of fire when he needed to be, and he was a cloud of covering. He led them where he chose, and the bottom line is they could not do it without him. And so the psalm concludes abruptly. All of a sudden, Asaph's fears are suddenly vanished, so he doesn't need to go on any further about it. And it reminded me of Hannah, just as Hannah did in 1 Samuel 1.18. She had been in the greatest of distress. She was sobbing her eyes out. But after she prayed, she went away, no longer having a sad countenance. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the same holy and awesome God. And Lord, help us to know you so we don't have to ask a million whys, that we just know that we can trust you. We can trust your love. We can trust your plan because it's good. It's a good plan for us, Lord. You love us. We're the delight and apple of your eye, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as the ladies break into their groups that you would knit them together and uh, just give them a fruitful, beautiful time as they ponder these things and discuss them as they share with one another things that you have done for them, things that we share with one another to encourage each other. Thank you for all these things that you're doing. Thank you for the things you have done. And thank you, Lord, for the things that you will do for us. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. We bless your name. And Lord, bring us to that place, even today, Lord, where we praise you in the storm. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.